0: You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr Richard Clark. There are hardcore non-league fans who see this as quote-unquote killing football. We're not. I think sometimes football fans think in a cynical way, but I can say right now there's no cynicism to what we're doing. It is one guy and his mates being able to live out a dream. We just looked at football from a different angle. And again, some fans didn't like that because we weren't taking football seriously. And football has to be really, really serious. And you have to talk about the Arsenal back four. We didn't do that. We picked out blokes picking their nose in the the crowd. And Arsene Wenger carrying a towel that looked like an elephant. I think there's too much snobbery towards only supporting the team your granddad supported or where you were born and having to go to away games on a Tuesday night. From my perspective, you're valid as a Manchester United fan if you love the team, whether you're from Salford or Singapore. And that was the genesis of Devils.
1: Hi there. Welcome to Sports Content Strategy. This is the podcast formerly known as Sport Digital and Social. Yes, I've had a little bit of a rebrand. There's a new name. There's a new badge, and there will be a new website in the future. won't bore you now with the reasons for the change. I've written a little piece on my website, mrrichardclark.com. Go there if you're interested. Anyway, my first guest on the new version of the podcast is Neil Smythe. He's had a very interesting career in sports content. His credits include Copper90, Full-Time Devils. He's just started a new job with Hashtag United as they become a fully-fledged non-league club. ...but he's probably best known as a producer and on-screen talent for the groundbreaking Soccer AM. Here's Neil to introduce himself and the reasons why he's famous.
0: I am Neil Smythe. Uh, I don't really know what I do as a job, but my current job title is Operations Director of Hashtag United. But as we'll go on to find out, I'm a content guy first and foremost... I suppose if you had a long memory, you would recognise me for wearing very strange outfits on Soccer AM over 10 years ago now.
1: Neil, thanks for speaking to me. Hashtag United, why have you made this particular move? And tell us about the major move that Hashtag itself has made in the last uh, couple of months or so. OK,
0: so why have I made the move? Well, I knew Spencer years ago at Copper 90. He was my social media manager back then. And I guess that's a lesson to all of us, to be nice to your staff, because you never get, never know when the tables are going to be turned. Um, so Spence gave me a call a few weeks ago and said, look, we are stepping up things at Hashtag United. We're moving into a new chapter, and we need a different type of person to take us forward, because they'd they just outgrown it. There, there was so much going on, and poor old Spencer can't can't concentrate on his own content. So uh, he said, how would you fancy coming in and uh, running a content team and also running a football club? And I said, yeah, when can I start? Um, it's, it's, I've always tried to expand my horizons and, and, and add new strings to my boat. And yes, I'm, I'm now involved in content, but I'll also be involved in esports, which you haven't been done before. That's exciting. And we're building a football club. And that's amazing. And, and, and the job I was doing at Formula E, I was loving being honest with you and I was honest with them, the travel was taking its toll. I'd travelled all, traveled all over the world the last year or so, but it was taking its toll on its family. So, yeah, hashtag United. Um, it is an incredible step for them. Um, a, a sort of potted history for you. They Well, Spencer's been making content for five years or so. We know that. Two years or so ago, he started getting his mates together, playing football matches, filming them putting them on YouTube, but he found there was an audience there. And I think the audience on, on YouTube at the time, the football crowd, were used to, I don't know, trick shots and they were used to, to FIFA, but there wasn't a, a lot of real football out there. And they found an audience for their very amateur content. And the last two years they've been uh, playing against other YouTube teams, other staff teams. He created some amazing mechanic for his own league and they've been playing in this own little bubble. But he always spends. Always thinks several steps ahead, and he always had this idea or this dream of reaching the non-league pyramid. And and this summer, that dream's become a reality. And we are moving into the non-league pyramid system at step six, which is the tenth tier of football. And essentially, we're a, a real football club now, and that's a, a daunting but exciting prospect. But we're also an esports team as well, and. And we've got three guys in uh, the FIFA E World Cup finals in August. So, yeah, lots to do.
1: You're head of operations. That's your job title. Now, I've worked at football clubs and normally that's about making sure that everything is set up for training and they've got enough equipment and all the the ancillary staff, the background staff are, are ready, uh, maybe involved in scouting and stuff. <laughs> What's your role? Because presumably it's going to be very different. Yeah, it
0: is. And I have to say, Spencer said to me, what, what do you want your job title to be? And I, I, I honestly didn't know. And you'll know this as well as I do. You wear so many hats, even in just the content team. You wear so many hats nowadays. I didn't know what to call myself the last few years. A head of content, a senior producer. I don't know. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm head of content, but I'm also running the football club operations, anything that's not the footballing side of it. So I don't really think there's a um, a similar role in, 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 in pro football. I've got one foot in the football operations camp and one foot firmly in the content camp. So if you can come up with a better job title for me, I'm, I'm more than happy to change it.
1: I'll have a think about it. I'll have a think. I know a few people have called you quite a few things over the years. But That's <laughs> true. <laughs> um, no, but the, the, obviously hashtag United, we've all seen it. Uh, the, there's cameras everywhere. They tell a good story. Fantastic story. It's it's not been high-level football. It's been friendly Sunday league kind of football in terms of its standard. Um, how seriously are you taking it? Are you, are you looking to go... Is this a vision to, to go up the league, to go up the pyramids?
0: <laughs> well, if you, if you see our launch video... Uh, yeah, I did, yeah. He was very uh, serious about it. <laughs> obviously, obviously, we are very bullish about the fact that we can. We could Ten be... Ten years not-
1: to the Premier League,
0: wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Ten exactly. years to the Premier League exactly. or the
1: Champions League.
0: Well, listen, I'm an Oxford United fan. Um, as well as being a hashtag. You know, I'm an oxygen. I am sorry. I know I it's not that easy. I've been <laughs> in football 20 years. I know we're not going to reach the Premier League in 10 years, so we could we can put that to bed straight away. Um, what are our initial aims? Uh, Spencer's been very clear. He wants us to create a sustainable football club. Now, that perhaps isn't the most uh, interesting headline, but that's a fact. We're coming in um, having not done this before. We're taking a very different approach to teams who've been around for for many years. Not a better approach, not a worse approach, just very, very different. Um, And we want to see if we can create a sustainable football club. Uh, Do we have an on-pitch target for this season? You'd have to ask the manager that. But I wouldn't expect us to be flying through the leagues anytime soon. From a content perspective, obviously I want to grow our audience. Specifically, I want to grow audience on, on YouTube and Instagram. Um, and then from a match perspective, we're coming at this where we've got know, hundreds of thousands of fans on, on social media. What's going to happen at the matches? Because we're going to be playing every Saturday. So I have a target in terms of the actual live attendance we'll be getting at a game. And we're not going to get this right from, from game one. We'll come at it with the right attitude. Um, but the matchday experience is really important to me. And by the end of the first season, I want to know that we've created a great matchday experience and that we have a healthy and growing live fan base, one with roots in the local community as well. The same sort of stuff that any football club will, will try to be doing. We're just coming at it from the other way around. We're going from online to real football, if you like, or, 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 or fans on a match day.
1: Because you're sharing with Aaron Gay Borough, this is non-league football, lower level non-league football. Suddenly you've got rules. Suddenly mm-hmm. you've got FA rules that, that hashtag United have not had. So is there an adaption period?
0: There is. And that's mainly what we're focusing on this, uh, this summer. It's about building that framework. Myself, Spencer, Seb, the manager, building that framework by which we can... Uh, Easily, easily operate whilst adhering to the rule. I don't think it's that big a shift. There's a lot more paperwork, obviously. Uh, there are a lot more matches, obviously. We anticipate playing you know, over 45 games this season. So we're going to have to have a more regular, rigid structure. We train on a Tuesdays. We play on a Saturday. Um, from a content perspective, that's really where it's going to shift. I know that's not really relating to the FA rules. But from a content perspective, the way hashtag are going to be telling the story is going to be almost completely different to how it was before because well here here is a rule we can't really well we can't transmit the games live on saturday at three o'clock because that embargo right I, I was going to ask play. that
1: mm. is is it embargoed even for that level <laughs> of, that to, my yeah. okay. yeah, to my knowledge saturday rule okay to my knowledge and
0: to be honest you do from a content perspective the last thing i need right now is to be uh, working out how we stream our games live on a Saturday, you know, one step at a time. But to my knowledge, that embargo is still in place. And I want to respect that. But in the past, we've had maybe three weeks to turn around one of our games because most of them were behind closed doors. The audience didn't know what the score was or how we performed. Now we're going to have people at the ground, whether it's 50 or 500. So if we don't tell the story in real time, like any other football team would, we're going to lose out so we have to turn our match edits around as quickly as possible within the embargo limits and we're going to have to be telling the the, the story socially in real time and and that is a big shift for us but in terms of the rest of the rules I, i think it's fairly clear you know we've been playing football according to fa rules for a couple of years it's um it's just a lot more paperwork
1: right but the other thing about filming the games live well do not some of the embargoed rules, the broadcasting rules, apply to Instagram Live? It's not just showing the game live if you if on a on a website or something like that, but if you've got live content going out on Instagram Live, then isn't that breaking the rules as well? And aren't you going to have, be slightly restricted there?
0: Oh yeah, when I to clarify, when I say we'll be. Uh, telling the story in real time. I, I'm not anticipating any live stream on Match Days. I'm merely saying on our Twitter feed, we need to be updating the audience in real time as Liverpool would do or Oxford United would do. Whereas in the past, and actually that's less restrictive, because in the past, our social guys haven't been able to tell the story as the game is being played because they want to keep the story back until we release the YouTube video, if that makes sense.
1: Your operation has been akin to a lower level, a League 1, League League 2 club, in that you've had decent shirt sponsorship, you've had merchandising and things like that. So so what sort of crowds are you expecting? What sort of operation are you going to try and put out? What sort of matchday experience are you going to put out? Are you pitching it at League 1, League 2 level, or have you got things that you want to do that are more akin to your online audience and will appeal to them?
0: First of all, I should uh, clarify the League 1, League 2 point, I think. We definitely do not have the resources of a League 1 or League 2 club. And I stress, I'm an Oxford fan, and and I know how many people they have behind the scenes there. We have nothing like that scale. We are a very small club, apart from the fact that we have a significant online database. Uh, online um, a viewership i should say um so in terms of the actual operational team we have a very small team that obviously needs to expand for the new season so in terms of how many people are going to come to a game honestly i have no idea right now i couldn't put my finger in the air what i need to do however is plan for any eventuality on that first match day we will be putting out ticket details shortly. We will be uh, looking at season tickets. So we're going to have some vague indication before match one. But I couldn't tell you right now whether 100 or 1,000 people will turn up. I just need to make arrangements for, for the larger figure. Um, I mean, up to 30,000 people watched one of the Wembley Cups with, with hashtag. We know how many people turn up to the Sidemen games. I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Uh, certainly in the first year. We've played around the country in the last couple of years, and we've had three to 500 turn up. So, you know, that would be a very good figure for us. In terms of what we're going to be offering on a match day, again, uh, I-, I need to be pretty clear, we will start small. We can't do everything on day one we can't come out all bells and whistles all guns blazing and provide an amazing match day experience like uh, established non-league clubs would do so i need to set expectations at a certain level there we'll try our best uh but it's a learning process for us and i go back to the point that we're trying to we're trying to build a sustainable club here so once i know how Matchday income is going to run, once I know the size of the audience, we can begin to uh, tailor that the right way. So that's definitely going to be a, a learning process for us and, and no one pretends it's going to be easy.
1: So you're talking about sustainable club. Yeah. What aspects are you important there? You've talked about community, but sustainability there. Are you talking about... I don't know you set up uh, a, a social club side of it? Um, I, I don't know the world's your oyster, I suppose, really? Mm-hmm. From an
0: initial basis, that sustainability means to me we need to be financially viable. And here is the main difference between what we're doing and what established pro clubs are doing. They have a business and an operation set up already with multiple revenue streams. we have We have content that's really essentially where we come from we have content on our revenue streams come from that content uh, perspective so that's a very different way of of uh, looking at it so I've got to balance the books knowing what's coming in from a content perspective not a match day perspective do we have a five 10 year roadmap uh, we're building it now and that is going to include what you'd normally expect uh, you've set up Uh, a women's team a girls team but again we can't do all of this in year one this year is all about learning adapting and building that audience both online and and, and in person
1: one thing that I found when I covered a team called Aldershot Town I covered Aldershot Town my first job in journalism and they were a league side that had dropped down well, actually gone out of business and reformed lower down. They were Their badge was the Phoenix, they were rising from the ashes, and they went down to what at the time was Isthmian level divi- Division 3, I think. They've gone back up into the league now. What they found, and we found, was the teams playing against Aldershot ...started to do odd things... ...they started to behave in odd ways... First of all the players played really well... ...and the fans... ...became a little bit more... ...aggressive with what they said... ...and what they did... ...because... ...they were playing the big boys... (laughs) ...so... ...it'd be interesting to see... ...what your opposition... ...teams... ...do... ...in reaction to playing hashtag... ...because... ...these are going to be... ...talented recreational players... ...shall we say... ...with ambitions to go higher... It'll be interesting to see the way they react because this is their uh, 15 minutes of, of fame. Have you thought about that?
0: Yeah, we've thought about it. And and I've been in football long enough to know that you're not going to please everybody, number one. Number two, for a lot of football fans, change is not good. I <laughs> don't so catchphrase, these of career, but it, it, it's appropriate. So I know we're ruffling a few feathers here. I'm really interested to find out how things pan out I can't I honestly can't predict how it's going to be we've got the league AGM this weekend so I'm hoping to meet all of the team's representatives there um answer any questions they have I'm sure they'll have plenty of questions for us uh allay any fears um but I have to say and I have to put it on record I've got a huge amount of respect for anybody who's worked in grassroots football whether they're paid or unpaid uh they do an amazing job and we're not coming in and saying we're going to do it better we're just coming in from a different angle uh and seeing you know how, how we can fit in with an established structure um i'm really hoping we can work closely with the other teams of the league um youtubers are good at collaborating and i want us to collaborate with the other teams on on, on content and hopefully shine a light on what they're doing and If that has a commercial upside for them or or, or more people come to their games, that's fantastic. Um, So we're going in with the right attitude, I think, but how other people are going to react, I don't know. I honestly don't know, and it'll be really exciting to see.
1: So you don't know how the clubs have reacted, but what about the fans online, your reaction, the sentiment back from them?
0: Really interesting. Uh, Again, not really a shock to me, having having done this for a while. Um, I've been in several situations in the past where I've picked up flack. Um, differences between platforms, I think, and, and this will come as no shock to you. Our audience on YouTube are 99.9% positive. This is amazing, Spencer, uh, and the work, I have to say, the work they've done over the last two years on the channel has been amazing. I've, I've just stepped in over you know, the last month. 99% of people are saying, you've done an amazing job, you deserve this break, good on you for having a dream. And that's essentially what it is. It's Spencer's dream that he's living out. The reaction on Twitter was different, to say the least. I think part of the problem there was um, initially we were placed in a league that we weren't expecting and that resulted in perception that we'd relegated a team. And and that, that obviously wasn't the case. The league we're in now is a newly formed league. So nobody's been relegated to make way for us. So I think the reaction since that new league was announced has been more positive. Uh, But again, I know there are hardcore non-league fans who see this as quote-unquote killing football. Uh, We're not. Uh, I think there's an element of unknown there. And I think sometimes football fans think in a cynical way. But I can say right now, there's no cynicism to what we're doing. It is one guy and his mates being able to live out a dream, and um, I'm hoping we can uh, we can persuade some of the doubters that we're we're trying to do things the right way.
1: Oh, believe you me, when even when Aldershot came in, and as I say, they were a, an established club that had been going a hundred years or so, there were there was criticism about them going in at Isthmian Division Three because. They've taken someone else's place, supposedly blah blah blah. that's always going to exist unless you you go at the absolute bottom. it's always going to exist yeah and, uh, and, and so I was go going on. to say, sorry.
0: and we are one step above the bottom, and that has attracted some attention. that's obviously the FA's decision. My take on that is the uh, ground regulations are, are different at step six to step seven, to my knowledge, and we, we, we've I think it was felt that if we did attract a more sizable crowd. Uh, a step six ground would be more applicable. But you know, that was out of our hands. And look, if we're not good enough from a football perspective, in a year's time, we will be in step seven. So, that's-
1: <laughs> I was going to say, are you doing anything different as a team now? Because presumably the standard is going to be a little bit high. I, I don't know. But is, is the standard going to be a little bit higher?
0: Yes, yes. I mean, bear in mind, over the last two years, they've played uh, football club uh, staff teams. Uh, A bunch of comedians, uh, great YouTube teams, and they have also played semi-pro teams. In fact, the last game that went live uh, was against New AFC, who are in the same step. And we lost that in the last minute. So if that's any sort of a guise, we're not a million miles away from competing. Uh, But as I said before, we don't know the strength of this league because it's a new league. Uh, nobody can really uh, anticipate the strength. What are we doing differently? Well, we are training uh, once a week, which wasn't the case before. It was uh, a a more ad hoc basis. We have brought in a manager who has managed several steps above where we are now. So he's been there, done that, seen it. He knows what he's doing. And he's bringing a couple of backroom staff with him. Uh, And we will need new players. We'll need new players, and that's... um, that's one of the challenges I've got to overcome over the next couple of months because from a content perspective, the audience have got to know this team and love you know, a lot of the team, and a lot of the team now have fairly sizable social media followings. But there's a potential, and I'm not thinking about anyone in particular here, but there's a potential that some of these fan favourites won't be good enough to play next season. So I have to find a way for them to still be part of the content if they're not playing week in, week out. So the playing playing team will change.
1: That's interesting. That is very... Is there, are you still going to be playing friendlies? Is the team still going to play around, around the league team?
0: Uh, so we will have three or four friendlies in July and then we'll be into the season. And, 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 and to my knowledge right now, we won't be playing many extra friendlies during the season because it's going to become all-encompassing.
1: I want to talk wider about you and the jobs that you've had because as you said in the intro um probably most people first came across you at soccer am um how do you look back on the legacy of that show and your time on it in general
0: i don't want to talk about its legacy because it's still there and last time i watched it was a really entertaining show and of course fenner's my mate is uh, is now at the helm so i can't really talk about the legacy um I don't know, it's 11 years since I left there and that's the most incredible thing from my perspective. It feels like it was two years ago, but it's 11 years since I left. It was my first proper job in, in, in content production and it was incredible. Highest highs, lowest lows, that cliche really applies. Um, I think, and Tim's done a really interesting podcast, uh, Tim Lovejoy, um, recently he he reminisced with Helen about In in, in invert commas the good old days when we were all together, and the way I look back on it personally, and this is not, you know, in relation to how the show was perceived, it was a bunch of mates doing what they love doing, and I think for any any of us in the content business, if we find a job that we love, and we're doing it because we love it, not because it's a job, then we're sorted. And it was a group of mates doing what we love doing and living the dream and talking about football and just having a lot of fun Um, sometimes we had more fun perhaps than the people watching Um, but it was an amazing amazing first job for me and I think some of us struggled after we left because a lot of us left on mass in 2007 I think some of us struggled for a few years afterwards because the jobs we had just didn't hold a candle to it uh but now you know with 10 years difference I look back on it and I think I was lucky to have that job at the time and lucky to have those experiences and if I can't recreate it then so be it we move on um why was it successful I've thought a lot about since I I think we looked at football from an alternative angle. And uh, you might not have always found our silly humour funny. That's fine. But we just looked at football from a different angle. And again, some fans didn't like that because we weren't taking football seriously. And football has to be really, really serious. And you have to talk about the Arsenal back four. We didn't do that. We picked out blokes picking their nose in the, in the crowd and Arsene Wenger carried a towel that looked like an elephant. Um. So, yeah, amazing, uh, amazing, lucky, lucky times. And uh, to be honest, I was lucky to get that job in the first place.
1: I was thinking about it because I watched the show back then and I was thinking about the sketches that you did. And that was one of the very, very new things. The fact that the the producers, the APs got in front of the camera and did sketches, which you made up, made up yourself. Mm. Do you see a direct link between that content, that type of content, people getting up there, doing it itself is a little bit ragged around the edges. It falls apart sometimes, but that's all part of the humour. Do you see a link between that content and what successful YouTubers are doing now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the first thing I should say is we weren't the first to do that sort of telly. Bear in mind, Tim had just come from, Tim and Andy had just come from the Big Breakfast. So, you know, that Zoo TV thing was very much a, a Chris Evans, Danny Baker thing. We were all fans of fantasy football and was certainly the same Satan Greavesy, which is going back a long time. Uh, and all of them had some sort of elements of the, the ragtag Zoo TV element. But to, to, to go back to your point about YouTubers, yes, definitely. And look, I haven't, I haven't, orchestrated my career i've kind of fallen into things as i as i go by as we all do Um, but if there is a through line it's it's that it's that i've always tried to be involved in projects that are authentic rather than overly polished or commercial that uh fans have an affinity for uh and that to a certain extent puts content firmly in the hands of the creators rather than the execs if that makes sense soccer am to sky's credit they left us alone they hardly spoke to us on an exec level because they knew we were doing what we were doing and it was working and they left us to it um at copper 90 google in the early days pretty much left us to it we created what we want to create um Fremantle, at at Full Time Devils. We, Manchester United, obviously, weren't telling us what we could and couldn't create. Content was in our hands, and again, a hashtag. So um, I think, I'm going in in, in tangents here, but uh, definitely a link with what the YouTubers are are doing. And I think it's, it's about putting the audience at the heart of the content. Successful YouTube creators, and what I try to do, is always think about the audience first and foremost, not necessarily, I don't know, what's right for the brand or what's right from a commercial perspective. It's what's right and what's going to resonate and engage the audience.
1: And the other thing I was going to talk about is is your career has moved from traditional TV into blue-ribboned online video content. You've kind of straddled that gap Has the, as the industry has gone that way from if you want a job doing this stuff, you've got to do it on TV to uh, hashtag United, which is actually they've created a content brand out of nothing. And now they're creating a football club out of nothing. So it's 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 straddled that journey in a sense. Have you ever thought about that? Have you? uh, presumably that's not deliberate as you say you've fallen into things but your your career path has definitely followed the general move of the industry
0: yeah yeah and i say it's not deliberate but in a way it was a case of needs must uh when we left soccer aim in 2007 we left to move into digital that was a really conscious move Tim was set up with Simon Fuller, wanted to create something really innovative on a digital platform uh, because, actually, because of the rise of MySpace in those days, which is really dating it. But to a certain extent, once I'd made that move and I'd been in that environment for two or three years, I was going to find it tough getting back into selling. So I don't think at that stage it was a case of I am a digital guy. It was a case of, TV is quite hard to get into and quite hard to get back into. And if you haven't got a an A4 sheet of TV credits, a lot of people in TV aren't going to see you.
1: Yeah, it, I was going to say, is that a prejudice? Did the prejudice still exist at that time?
0: Yeah, definitely in those days. In those days, for sure. And bear in mind, I had one TV credit to speak of. I did, I did a David Beckham show while I was at uh, 19, but essentially one TV credit to speak of. It so happened I was there for eight years and I went from editorial assistant to gallery producer. Um, so I'd done most jobs in TV production. But I think in those days there was certainly a snobbery. You have to have a certain amount of TV credits in a relevant genre, otherwise you're not going back in. Um, so it was going to be quite difficult, difficult to get into telly. But what I would loved when I was at 19, I'd loved physically picking up a camera and physically getting involved in the edit. Because back in telly in those days, you could direct a shoot, but your lighting cameraman shot it. And you could produce and edit, but somebody else pushed the buttons. And when we moved to Channel B in 19, we were doing all of that ourselves. So we were the content creators, and we were shooting it, and we were editing it, and we were dealing with uh, encodes that would drop off, and we were dealing with uh, CMS systems, and all these new skills I was learning. So in a way, I suppose it was a godsend that TV didn't really have me back because then I came armed with a whole bunch of skills that have served me ever since. And um, yeah, ultimately, you know, 10 years on, I I think I made the right move. Um, I think the main difference, uh, and we can obsess about how different content is, but the main difference for me is I have to wear so many hats nowadays um it soccer game wasn't really like that but in telly in general you wear one hat i am edit producer or i am scheduler or director in the digital world you know this we're everything you know we are commissioners we're content creators we're producers editors schedulers social media people pr people often and uh, there are times when that gets too much but there are times when I, um, I'm really glad that I've stepped into this world.
1: Does the prejudice that you encountered back then between the big screen and the small screen, I was going to say, does it exist? Or how much is it now in comparison to what it was? Because I'd argue that it's still there.
0: Yeah, I mean, prejudice is strong. And bear in mind, I don't think I've applied for a job in, in, in TV for a while because I'm happy doing what I've been doing. Um, I think the lines are far more blurred now. Uh, and there are far more roles now for the hybrids, for want of a better word. If you take Soccer AM as, as an example. In the last couple of years, that's as much, if not more, of a digital product now than it is a broadcast product. And that's did not doing any disservice to, to Fenners & Co. But because of the um, move Sky have made in, in, in digital, that online product is really key for them now. And so there are roles at Soccer AM that are, I imagine, straddling broadcast and digital. And, and there are more more companies who do that now. So, um, you know, I'm not going to walk into a job producing or series producing a, 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 a major series on Sky Sports. But to be honest, I, I, I don't want to do that now. Um, I think there are far more opportunities at this end of the scale.
1: I was going to talk about Copper because I think that was your next stop albeit a small one what stage were copper at at that time and also your thoughts on where they've got to because they seem to have totally blossomed and what they're doing at the world cup for example is is so interesting snapchat shows all that kind of stuff that they're doing so where were copper 90 where when you were with them
0: well from my perspective first of all there was channel b which was you know a a couple of years and, and i think we tried to do something really innovative there um but we missed the boat so we
1: missed the boat which was what which was what
0: so channel b was tim and simon fuller's digital project and essentially our idea was to create in inverted commas broadcast quality content on a digital platform which i say that now and it sounds like nonsense but back in those days youtube existed but nobody had, over here had heard of it so we were creating sketches we were going to live gigs we were create. uh we were creating daily magazine shows uh, football interviews all manner of content before essentially youtube existed we spent a lot of money on a bespoke platform and no money on marketing and these were the early days of digital where everyone thought it create the content and people will come anyway yeah
1: i i heard that story quite a few times with football clubs we'll create our own platform uh, it'll be great well yeah, exactly
0: and, and and it was a massive learning curve for us and some of our content is still floating around facebook now with tens of millions of views um i would advise anybody to look up uh, sheephead's late night phone calls not safe for work i have to say but please check them out because <laughs> they were very very funny very proud of that anyway Copper was your question um, I came in at copper essentially um, to deliver the launch uh, so big balls had got the commission from Google and they needed somebody who was versed in football content because they weren't um, you know they were they were action sports guys they wanted someone who'd versed in football content to get the channel up and running um, so I was in the early days um, I brought in the team I uh, developed or co-developed some of the initial strands and the strategy and i was there for the first six months interesting times and yeah i i have a lot of respect for what they've done since and and i suppose what i'm doing now is is a as a direct result of being there because as i said before spence worked with me i remember talking about a hashtag united back then um you know, uh, certainly a couple of things he's done since we, 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 we talked about in those early days. And it's amazing to, to essentially go full circle and be back working with him again.
1: The next move was Fremantle. And that's interesting because yet again, you've been you've had so many touch points in terms of football content. You've got Soccer AM, of course, you've got Hashtag, you've got Copper 90 And this was fan channels, football fan channels. And your one in particular was uh, Full Time Devils, the man you one. So were you involved at the start of that or or, or what was your role there?
0: Yeah, so I was in it essentially day one. Um, The genesis of that was the head of digital content, the ex-head of digital content at Fremantle, uh, Pete Cassidy, had a remit to, um, to test and to try new ideas in the digital space. He was a Manchester United fan. Uh, and didn't particularly think that he was served the content he was demanding day in, day out. Man United obviously didn't have a YouTube channel in those days. And we know that the content that sometimes comes out from clubs is, um, not overly, in- not overly independent. Vanilla. Put it that way. Vanilla. That's the nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: It's bat- It's battleship gray sometimes. And right, I was, exactly. I was okay. responsible for so, some of
0: that. He was, a, I don't know, 30 something Man United fan. And, uh, but simply wanted more content. Uh, it turns out there were uh, a couple of channels doing similar at the time. I didn't know at the time, but Red Men and Arsenal Fan TV, I think, had just started. And he said, "Do you think is there's a market for this for Manchester United fans?" Uh, I said, "Yes." He didn't want to hire me because I wasn't a United fan. But essentially he he, he relented and, and yes, yeah, so I was in that day one on, on, on Full Time Devils. What, four or five years later, we'd had seven channels, so six club channels and TFR, Football Republic. And we'd been very much, you know, a, a major part of that fan channel uh birth and, and, and growth. And I'm 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 really proud of what we what what we've all achieved and I count Robbie and the, the Red Men guys and Ball Street in that. Um From my perspective, it was all about giving fans a voice and trying to connect fans globally. And to me, it didn't matter that I wasn't a Manchester United fan because the guys who were making the content were, and that was important. Everybody who worked on our club channels were fans of the clubs they worked on. Otherwise, accusations of us not being authentic would have been 100% accurate. So I worked with these Man United fans and we just created simple content that other manchester united fans would want to see and i think central to this and what's always been important to me is football supporting should be an inclusive thing i think there's too much certainly in this country too much snobbery towards only supporting the team your granddad supported or where you were born and having to go to away games on a tuesday night from my perspective You're valid as a Manchester United fan if you love the team, whether you're from Salford or Singapore. And that was the genesis of Devils. And we got a lot of flack for that because we did put these guys on equal footing. If the idea was to give fans a voice and connect them globally, then I think I I can say it worked.
1: Just getting back to hashtag United, you talked about the fact that Man U fans uh, for for full-time devils, it didn't matter whether they're Salford or Singapore. Well, hashtag United, you talked about community. And of course, there is no community apart from the one online. Because because football clubs, I think... All of the 92 football clubs, with the exception of Arsenal, have a geographical reference within their name. It's normally all about geography, right? Man United fans get stick because their fans, they're so big globally that they're broken that that particular concern and of course hashtag never had it in the first place so it's it's interesting that people talk about loyalty and community and it's often based around geography when really it's the world's going a different way and clubs have looked for overseas fans and hashtag have have built what you would argue would be a deep loyalty a loyalty that a lot of clubs Premier League clubs would like because people are spending their hashtag fans are spending their money on merchandise and things they've built up a loyalty that Premier League clubs want but they've done it without any geographical without any home it's just interesting point
0: yeah no exactly I would 100% agree with you that hashtag have built a hugely loyal engaged audience and you're right that's what everybody else is aspiring to do and some clubs are getting it um, better than others but I think in a way, it's partly because of the freedom we give you. You know, we're free from heritage. We're free from geographical ties. You know, wherever you are around the world. And I have to say, our fan base is predominantly UK. When I came to the channel, I was I was really surprised at the demographic, actually. It, it is predominantly a, a, a
1: British-based audience. I am a bit surprised by that, mm, actually. Mm,
0: it is. Um, I think... From a content perspective, it's probably because our content is still pretty uh, audio-reliant. You you can watch the games, but to buy into the personalities, you need to understand what we're saying. Um, Anyway, that that, that aside, I think it's because we're free from those chains. And uh, wherever you are, essentially around the world, you want to see these players as personalities that you buy into and that you have an affinity with. Is it because... Fans have more affinity with players who are closer to the standard than than, than they are. I, I, I don't know, but none of this is to do down clubs with 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 a a, a heritage. That's fantastic, and you know one of the reasons I, I uh, support Oxford is because I've been supporting them for thirty odd years, and I'm, that is not going to change. But at hashtag, we are openly going to be saying, "We'll be your second team." You know, we're not we're not competing with Manchester United. We're not we're not competing with Oxford United. But go and watch Oxford on a match day. Come home, watch hashtag content. That's what I'd love people to do.
1: Just getting back to the fan channels, and I know that you were involved with full time Devils more than any other. But what's your take on why Arsenal Fan TV has stolen a march on? Clubs like Manchester United and clubs like Liverpool, who started fan channels at the same time, they've had their ups and downs as well, issues with the managers and support and things like that. But Arsenal mm-hmm. Fan TV is, is has stolen a march on the others, uh, I think in terms of audience, but certainly in terms of public perception as the most successful. Why has that happened, in your opinion? Mm.
0: Well, it's quite a complex one. Um, so going back to when I was at United, the first boss, Pete, Peter said... why why are we going to film fans after a game? Why are we bothering to do that? This was in the early days, I have to say. And I said, because I've seen what happens when Sky Sports do vox pops outside the ground. Uh, Fans want to be heard. And if we put a camera outside the ground, fans will have their say, good or bad. And so that's why we started doing it. And obviously, in in that first year, we we had Andy Tate, who exploded and, and that's a completely different conversation i could take you 20 minutes explaining that but that was a real lesson to me andy tate's rant exploded socially and we learned a lot from it um what i learned personally as a producer and what i told the rest of the channels is we always needed a filter in place we knew there'd be people uh coming to games almost with pre-prepared Uh, statements or rants that would undoubtedly fly socially but perhaps wouldn't put the channel in the best light. Now, me as producer, that was the the call I made. And I know over the years we uh, rejected several fan cams for various reasons because we could see people wanting to get famous, for one better word. And, and, And to me, authenticity was the key, especially because we were getting flack for being Fremantle. You know, Fremantle were the, uh, the pros. We were paying uh, staff to, to produce the content. And apparently that, that meant we couldn't be authentic, which was nonsense. But anyway, the, the men, what I'm saying here is I had filters in place. Um, Arsenal, to get to your point, and I don't want to do down what Robbie's done here, or what the guys have done. They've simply gone down a different route of, going for the biggest personalities and nurturing those personalities and growing those personalities and putting more and more and more emphasis on specific individuals. As a producer, I simply wanted to do things in a different way. I wanted to give a more rounded perspective and I I didn't want to be hugely reliant on fan cams. The other thing is I think Arsenal fans in general are more passionate and vocal on social media it's become a joke that whenever there's a poll, you know, Arsenal fans will, will, you know, essentially rig or win that poll. So I think Arsenal fan base is, is more vociferous on social media, and I think Robbie and the guys, I think Robbie found some amazing personalities and knew how to nurture them. Now, whether I as a producer think sometimes they overstep the mark or, or is 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 one for a for a different conversation, but he has done amazingly well.
1: How do fan channels need to evolve? Because you talked about uh, the issue of fans almost scripting what they say and preparing what they say, losing the authenticity. As they become bigger, they will be accused of losing touch with the fans if they do their own channels and monetize cool. and things like that. That's bound to happen. Also, if it continues to just be rant TV, it's, it's going to lose it's impetus because you can't rant all the time. You have to have light and dark. So how does it have to evolve? Because that's what Hashtag is doing now. It's done one certain thing, and now it's evolving into, into a different act of the play, as it were. So how does, how, in your opinion, from the outside, how, does, how do fan channels have to change their story to keep relevant?
0: Well, first, to your point about rant TV, that was kind of where I was leading in, in a very circumspect way. You know, I, I wanted us to create content week in, week out, uh, and the rants would be, you know, it, one very small element of, of, of our content. And I think what has changed is that Arsenal Fan TV have become a byword for uh, and, and a go-to location when the club loses. Um, whether that's right or wrong, that has happened. I think the filter I always use to, to use is, as an Oxford United fan. Now, I don't think we have a fan channel. Would I be happy for this person to be essentially representing my club and my feelings? That's that's the filter I always use. How are they going to change? I don't know whether they need to. It depends what their aspirations are. I mean, the reasons why I, I, I left Fremantle are, uh, again, quite long-winded. But essentially, I felt that we were battling for scale at all costs by the end. And I didn't quite know where this vision would end. I, I'd anticipated partnerships with clubs. That wasn't happening. Uh, I was trying to work on a broadcast concept, but I was too snowed under with simply running the channels. And and so I, I I made the decision to to move. Ask You need to ask Robbie that question. I think he's done very well. The fact that they've got a TV commission is amazing. Um, I haven't watched the show, I have to say, but I think that's the next step for them. But if I was him, I would be content to be the unofficial voice of my club. Whether he wants to run more channels, I I I think every club with a fan base needs a fan channel on whatever level, because fans ultimately need an outlet and need an independent place to to have their say. Fanzines did that twenty years ago. Uh, fan sites on the website did that ten years ago. I think the fan channel and the kind of video fan interview is just simply the next iteration of fans having their say so i don't think it needs to change
1: i've just written a blog on that i've just written a blog about programs the fact that the the EFL have changed what their the statute so football league clubs don't have to produce a program anymore and I talked about fanzines, the fact that fanzine content they became. I didn't think they were a competitive buy to a program, but they were a complementary buy. And then it moved into blogs, and now it moved into into uh, fan channels. Effectively, the content is very similar across fanzines, mm. blogs, and and fan channels. It's just the it's just the medium that's changed. Just the te- exactly that. It's Just the technology that's changed. It's- exactly that. And again, at Manchester
0: United, because it, it, it's they they're. they're perceived as the biggest club. We, we did attract a lot of flack and attention. And yes, from some, some home fans as well. Forget the Fremantle side of things, because I've explained that. But we were simply giving fans a voice in a different way. And, and we weren't pushing fanzines out of business. We supported uh, you know the fanzines as much as we possibly could. Uh, it's just, yeah, the next way and the next wave. And in five years' time there'll be another wave. And fans will have their say in a different way. And that's great and also to your point about coexisting programs and fanzines i think and believed at the time that club official channels and unofficial fan channels and absolutely have a place to work together it's not mutually exclusive if i'm watching an amazing premium video shot with some of the arsenal players does that mean i'll not watch arsenal fan TV? no all these channels can coexist. And my biggest disappointment from my time at Fremantle was that I couldn't get clubs to work with us. I understand why. I understand the reasons. But I think uh, I thought that by now clubs would perhaps embraced the fan channel world a little bit more than they have done.
1: Yeah that's always going to be a difficult one having worked on the other side of that that's of course that's going to be hard and I think the other thing let let alone there's the communication side the sentiment side blah 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 the, the other thing is the very success of the fan channels it means they're more commercialized they've got sponsors across them etc etc so you've got sponsors potentially either clashing or in order to get in touch with Arsenal fans or sorry let's not talk about Arsenal but any any fan of a club are you better going to the fan channel or, or are you better going to the club and the club will see that as taking revenue away from the club and there you've got a real big issue
0: yeah yeah and it's a thorny one and i know i know obviously where, where you've come from but um i think there's there's a way to collaborate without cannibalizing your audience and i think of a video specifically made i think a couple of years ago now voxel with the sponsor uh, activating, I believe, Liverpool and Redmen. And it was some sort of challenge featuring Liverpool players and Men players. Now, I challenge anyone to tell me that, that putting that video out, and, and, and maybe video one on one channel, video two on another channel, how that wasn't an amazing collaboration. It's not going to happen all the time. You know, you, you can't have rants on, on official club channels, but there are creative ways to work together.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I'd agree, I'd agree with that. I think there are some, certainly, certainly. um just moving on, what makes good content? I know that a, a lot of content creators listen to this podcast, and the podcast that I've done in which people, industry veterans—I'll call you a veteran. Um, uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> give out tips, give out tips and their expertise. So what makes good content? What what do you what makes good content? Uh, question one. Question two. If you're a young, enthusiastic content, potential content creator with lots of ideas, what do you have to do to get in in the industry? So first of all, what's good content? What makes it?
0: I always struggle with these questions. And 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 I, I think because I don't I don't really think that way. All right, okay, what makes good content in a sentence for me is content the audience wants to watch and wants to engage in. And that sounds so simplistic, but from my point of view, it's it's key. If you don't know what your audience wants and don't give your audience what they want, on a tone that works for them, with talent that they relate to, uh, and in a form that they're going to be able to consume, then that's not good content. So that's not the most erudite answer you're ever going to have to that. But I, I can't, I can't bottle it. And I've made a lot of terrible content. We all have.
1: Yeah, but but I. But what you've said there is very is very clear. And yes, all right, it's it's a, a simplistic answer in a way. However, you do go through. You look at websites now, club websites or or, or uh, other websites. And you look at a lot of content, you're there thinking, that's not going to hook me. And increasingly, if you look at the analytics of staple content that clubs are putting out, etc., it it doesn't have the hook to keep people clearly because people aren't engaging with it. And if you look at, for example, the way the Daily Mail have evolved their product, whatever you think of the Daily Mail online, they're incredibly successful. And the way they hook you yep. in with big headlines, long headlines, roundup bullet points, uh, loads of pictures. It's a lesson in how to do it, an absolute lesson in how to do it. And you have given me an answer there. You've given me a very basic answer, but really that's enough. If you, if you, if you tickle those boxes, um, So moving on to the second one, a content creator or a potential content creator with ideas, how do they get into this industry? What do they have to do to get the attention of someone like you who employs people?
0: So this I was thinking about, and this shows how far the industry has moved since I came into it. So just on me again for a second, I got into TV a very circuitous route. My first job in telly was duty office at Channel 5. I answered the phone. People complaining about Channel Five in the first year of its of its existence. <laughs>
1: oh, that's another podcast. That, that's, that's another podcast. That, that must be another podcast. Cause... And it was one
0: of my favourite jobs. I have to tell you, <laughs> because in those days we're on we're into it now. In those days,
1: um, it, it was trashy so TV. Tra- it was trashy TV, in my opinion, at well, that time. It
0: was what, what what did Dawn Airy call it? It was football. Uh, uh, football something else and and a word i can't even say but essentially <laughs> people were either complaining about the snowy picture uh whether the pornography was 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 too hard or, or 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 too soft uh the quality of the football and that was it about it anyway amazing job but my point is i got into telly uh because i couldn't get in as a creative because in those days ah i, I filled in a planet 24 sorry i'm digressing here but planet 24 uh, were the hottest property at the time when I wanted in telly, when I was at university. They produced the big breakfast. They had a graduate scheme, which, which was like a 10-page questionnaire. And they asked for like 30 ideas in that 10-page questionnaire. I didn't get an interview. I'm sure some of my ideas got used. Um, it, other than that, there were so few opportunities, unless you knew the right person in Intelly. so few opportunities to get in and i got lucky i got in via customer service and then scheduling promos at sky sent an email to mr lovejoy and said i'll work for you for free and he said well come and meet me and and the rest is history blah 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 the point is really hard to get in to telly back then and there was no digital to speak of so that was it now it is amazing anybody pretty much anybody will have access to a smartphone and the internet and that's all you need to become a content creator nowadays so to your point, if you're 16 or you're 21 and you want to get into content and you drop me a line, number one, I will always reply to you because I, I've i started you know, trying to give something back without signing too high for looting. I'll always reply and, and, and give you what advice I can. Number two, if you can't show me, you, de- you can't demonstrate an interest in content creation, then that's kind of it for the conversation. Fifteen years ago, I couldn't tell Tim that I wanted to get or I couldn't show Tim that I wanted to get into telly other than what was in my head now show me something you shot on the phone show me something you've edited on 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 windows movie maker or or whatever um show me a a storyboard for a piece of content you know tell me who out there is doing is is producing amazing content if you can't answer those questions I would challenge you to say you're not interested in 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 the industry
1: Yes, that makes total sense. I mean, look, I, I wrote for fanzines because I wanted to get into sports journalism and I knew I had to demonstrate it. And when I've interviewed people for jobs, I'm not really interested in, oh, I've worked for my my university online because every, everybody's got that. Everybody's done that. You should be doing that. If you're interviewing sports journalists, you should oh. be writing for your university online portal. But if you are hosting a hospital radio Saturday afternoon roundup show – on your own you know and you've take you've done that off, off your back that means much more than anything else you have i i treat it as you have to prove to me that you want to do this whether you're paid or not
0: yeah exactly that exactly that and to be honest i don't really don't pay much attention to people's education nowadays and and i i do have a problem when i'm asked should i go to university or not and it's not really my position to to, to say um, but i want to see a practical example of, of, of your interest here's here's one example i'm meeting a guy today i might not have anything for him i'm meeting a guy today who sent an email to us two weeks ago saying i've just graduated but by the way i produced this non-leagues club program for two years for nothing and i commentated on 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 that team's games for nothing for two years and i did a bit of their social media now that's amazing he's 21 22 and he's done all that so far it's in your hands. The power is now not in Sky's hands or not solely in Sky's hands or BBC's hands. If you're a creator, the power is in your hands to do
1: it now. Who's creating the best content out there at the moment in your, your sphere?
0: Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to ask for that question.
1: I'm not here to ask the know. easy ones. You can go on someone else's no. podcast for the easy ones. Okay. So
0: I kind of knew you were going to ask me that question and I, Yes, I read what you write and what Dan writes and what, <laughs> what it means. You, you, you can't, you
1: can't repeat what I've said back back <laughs> to me. That's not gonna no, work. no, no.
0: What I'm going to say is, do you know what? I, I probably watch less of other people's content than I should, and there's a few reasons for that. Yes, I'm busy. That's not that's an excuse, but also I'm the kind of person who, if I see an amazing piece of content, actually I won't be inspired by that. That would that would stress me out a little bit (laughs) if that makes sense so 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 do i do i spend a lot of time watching other people's content no actually i don't i i rather i have a general overview of what people are doing which is why people like yourselves are amazing um but i i tend to focus on, on on the job in hand uh you know, and what I want to do, and what the audience are telling me we should be doing. Um, so, that is a, a real bottle job of the question. In general, I'm going to throw out names that everybody throws out. Um, I think uh, NBA's Instagram stories are great, they bring you really close to the action. Last time I checked Snapchat, and that was a few months ago, and I'm not using Snapchat now, uh, Sky Sports were producing some amazing Snapchats. I think uh, within our sphere, if you count it as our sphere, I think some of the Premier League football clubs' YouTube channels are are really good now. Uh, um, uh, some of the content that that Arsenal and Liverpool and Man City especially create, but this is nothing new to any of your uh, 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 listeners. I am going to give I am going to give a plug to Formula E here, Richard. Well, it's not in my sphere, it's not because I was there. What was so refreshing about working at Formula E, and by the way, I, I, I left an absolute fan and advocate for what they're doing is they are uh, a rights owner who acknowledge that they've got to uh, attract a younger, more diverse, larger audience. And so they're pretty much saying to the content team, go out and create some innovative, edgy content. And there aren't many rights owners who are saying that. And they're also saying, Hey, if you're a content creator or a publisher, go, please, have our content they're they're syndicating their content far and wide to get the word out so i think they're doing some good work and i think on, on to that note formula one have stepped up massively in the last year or so uh and i think some of formula one's content is uh is, is amazing but yeah i'm sorry if none of that is overly insightful but that's because I, I spend more time making my own rather than looking at other people's
1: neil Smythe, thank you very much Welcome, thanks
0: for listening to me banging on. <laughs> um, good, luck with, good luck with the edit. Please follow at Sports Content Strategy on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, it's Sports Content SP. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog and sign up for
1: his newsletter at MrRichardClark.com.